Shall we begin? Okay. In the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Heavenly Father, we thank you for your guidance, uh, for your truth. Lord, we know that it's not always easy to follow, especially in the culture that we live in. And may we constantly seek uh, the truth uh, that you are, the truth that you desire for us, knowing that uh, morality, virtue is not there to make uh, life unfun or oppressive, but rather to give us the tools to live life to the full. Lord, we thank you again for the truth that you are. We ask this in your name. Amen. Son, Holy Spirit, Amen. Um, today we're doing uh, moral issues. Um, I don't think we're going to get through half of it, but that's okay. Um, so, the first one is abortion. Um, and it used to be that nurses, doctors uh, took uh, something called the Hippocratic Oath. Uh, which basically says that not to do any harm. Um, Hippocrates uh, was considered the father of uh, medicine, uh, so he lived in like, let's see, the 4th century, 5th century BC. Um, and actually, the oath originally condemned abortion and euthanasia um, specifically. Um, so Vatican II, which was the last ecumenical council of the Catholic Church uh, in the 1960s, um, Vatican II called abortion an unspeakable crime. And actually, abortion is one of the few offenses that carry the penalty of automatic excommunication. Um, now, we also have to remember, though, uh, that um, for that to be true, as with uh, mortal sin, you have to know that it has to obviously be grave matter. You have to know that it's grave matter and that you freely choose to do it anyways. So unless someone, I guess, now you guys are at a disadvantage because now you know that abortion is uh, carries the penalty of uh, excommunication. So if you didn't know that, then it wouldn't happen. But if you knew that, um, then yeah. Uh, if you um, have an abortion or if you encourage someone else to have an abortion, um, we'll talk about that in a little bit more in a bit. Um, but yeah, abortion is one of the few offenses that carry a penalty of automatic excommunication. And so, again, excommunication isn't like you're so bad that we don't want you in the church anymore. It's like you did something so bad, like, you know... Um, you need to understand the severity of what you did. And so it's kind of a wake-up call uh, to come back. Um, I guess I'm not a huge fan of, like, parents, like, kicking children out of the house. But maybe you could kind of equate it to that. Like, you know, like, you're, you know, I want to wake you up to the gravity of what you did. And so until, you know, you can come back and understand that, then, you know, um, but... So maybe it's equivalent to that, maybe not. Um, so the Evangelium Vitae, the Gospel of Life, which is encyclical uh, that Pope John Paul II wrote. Maybe I should say St. Pope John Paul II. Um, but in it he said that the lack of outrage over abortion is a clear sign of the dangerous moral crisis, meaning that you know, the fact that there isn't more of an outcry against abortion uh, speaks to the very 
crisis that we're in that like people aren't more upset over it um and uh he says euthanisms like termination of pregnancy obscure the true nature of abortion in which uh murder of a worst kind and, and uh the murder of an innocent person um words have power um uh, people could say oh it's just words like it's just semantics so words have power and the way we use language and the words that we choose to use um, greatly underline um, what we believe. Um, I guess the first thing that's coming to me is like, I mean, I, I grew up Catholic. Like, I understood that the Eucharist was the body, blood, soul, and divinity of Jesus. But, like, I remember the first time I heard um, someone use, like, masculine pronouns for the Eucharist like you know oh I'm gonna go get Jesus or I'm gonna go get him out of the tabernacle or just like you know I wanted to receive Jesus I want to receive him in the Eucharist and like I had never heard that like those pronouns used with the Eucharist and like, like I don't know like it really hit me um yeah that like yeah, if we believe that the Eucharist is a body, blood, soul, and divinity of Jesus, like, of course we would use pronouns like that. And so, like, the language that we use has such a great power and speaks so much to what we believe. And so, um, yeah, I, I think sometimes we have to be more careful than we are about the language that we use, um, especially around issues like this. Um, no, again, no one can be more innocent than an unborn baby, uh, nor more helpless. Um, the the child is murdered in silence, like they can't like really scream at that point because their lungs aren't uh, full of air, and so they can't really they can't even cry at that point. Um, and so it really is a, a, a murder in silence. Um, you know, mothers cannot escape blame. God entrusts the care of the child to its mother um, but at the same time we probably need to do even a better uh, job of supporting you know women who do choose life and um, like there's like um, options for women here in Mankato um, I went to a gala for Abria which I think is a similar thing up in the cities like they're like located like just a block from Planned Parenthood um, but yeah, I think um, yeah. Just how can we support mothers uh, who choose life, um, or encourage them to to choose life? Um, obviously, fathers are just as much to blame, if not more, especially if they've encouraged the mother to get an abortion. Um, like you hear stories of that over and over again, like the um, the boyfriend encouraging. The, you know his girlfriend to get an abortion like just go take care of it or like you know, I'll give you some money um, and so uh, yeah I would say in some ways you know the men are even more to blame and I mean maybe I'm being uh, stereotypical but you know I just did my own experience like some t at least at first I feel like the women are more hesitant 
um, to enter into sexual activity and usually they're pressured into it by their boyfriend and then you no, know, she gets pregnant and then the boyfriend is the one who contributes to get abortion. It's just like, you know, asking the woman to do, you know, two evil things, you know, um, you know, just for the mere sake of pleasure. Um, and so uh, I think as men we need to, to be, um, yeah, we need to be careful. Um, and make sure that we always choose the right thing um, to sacrifice for the good of others, for the women in our lives. Um, legislators who support action, uh, support abortion laws are likewise guilty. Um, so, uh, yeah, I, I don't want to get political, but let's just say there are some politicians right now who um, who support abortion um, and you know they're receiving uh, the Eucharist um, which would be it's a scandal and a sin in and of itself and so someone once asked me if I would give communion to certain politicians and I said well no like there's scandal involved and we need to up, uphold the dignity uh, of the Eucharist um, and also the, 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 the dignity of the truth. Um, so, um, those who support, who promote sexual permissiveness uh, must also share the blame for abortion. Um, yeah, I mean, in some ways, how far do you want to go with this? Like, I mean, you could look at the movie industry. I mean, you could look at the music industry. Um, you could look at, uh, what I don't even know what they're called, like school nurses or whatever in high schools. Um, you know, you know they're going to do it anyway, so we might as well, you know, give them safe sex, like hand out condoms or contraceptives. Um, and so, uh, yeah, like, and so are we countering that? You know, um, I, you know, are we doing anything ourselves to not allow um, those ideas, you know, to, to sit in our hearts as well? Um, and kind of with that, I personally think that abortion will not come to an end until we give up contraception. Um, I think we've kind of fallen into a contraceptive mentality, uh, meaning that like I have a right to choose um, when, if, how I I get pregnant, um, and so um, we'll talk later. But just like again, like seeing children as I don't know, uh, maybe to be crude as an accessory rather than a gift, and so I should be able to decide when that child comes um, and so um, rather than receiving it from God as uh, children as a gift from God um, and so as long as we have that mentality that kind of contraceptive mentality I don't think we're going to get rid of abortion because abortion becomes kind of a backup to contraception so if the contraception doesn't work then I still have a right to to choose and so like I should still be able to control con uh, conception if the contraception has failed. 
and so I, in some ways I don't think we're going to get rid of abortion um, until we get rid of contraception but um, I could be wrong I'd be glad to be wrong um, so uh, just pro-abortion arguments right um, it's my body I have the right to choose um, you know, every cell in our body has the same DNA, right? Um, you know, those who are in um, uh, the medical field can uh, correct me if I'm wrong, but um, but yeah, the and so obviously the child has a different DNA uh, in the cells than the mother. Um, Although there is a lot of cool stuff going on about how um, like stem cells from the child enter the mother's bloodstream and like helps her repair things and like vice versa like some of the um, what do you call it, antigens or whatever from the mother uh, somehow pass through the uh, what's that called the blood barrier or whatever it's called. Um, and it helps out the child with its immune system. Like there's a lot of like cool like give and take that happens. Um, uh, but overall, like the cells of the child are different than the cell, than the DNA in the mother. And so, um, in some in that way, you would be able to argue scientifically that uh, the baby is not um, part of the mother's body. Um, I mean, I guess there's a sense like the baby is in the mother's body, and then I guess you could say like I have a right, total control of what happens to my body or in my body. Um, I guess I hadn't thought of that so much, um, but um, but yeah, like other people's right to life um, inconvenience us all the time. Someone pulls out in front of me in traffic, like the fact that they exist inconveniences me, <laughs> right? And so, I mean, I realize that it's, that's not really equivalent. Um, I mean, it's nine months of carrying a, someone else inside of your body, which, um, was my example is like a split second, um, but yeah, it, it's just you know we do, uh, you know, have to sacrifice sometimes for the good of others. Um, the fetus is just a clump of cells. Um, That fetus uh, has potential. Like we would say, like even a um, you know even a baby that's outside of the womb doesn't look like what it's going to look like as an adult. Um, like we always say that the potential um, is there, and so what it is isn't based on what it looks like. It what it is is based on what is what it's going to be right um and so the cell uh, even though it's a quote a clump of cells it is already a person like it even though it doesn't look like a person yet it 
it has that potential, and especially if we start looking at the immaterial thing, if we believe that like the human soul already is there, like its nature is uh, speaking kind of like the old like metaphysics, like um, you know the the soul or the whatness and the and the act or like the material. Like, even though the material looks different, the the whatness is the human soul, it's a human being. And so, even though it hasn't been able to enact everything that a human being usually does, it is all that, it is that already. Um, like you could, I mean, by that argument too, and we'll, we, there's some others that kind of fit under that, like, we don't enact our, our full humanity when we're asleep. Well, does that mean that we're less human when we're asleep, like, it's, is it okay to kill someone when they're asleep, even though they're not, like, living out their potential as a human person at that time? Well, no. Um, and so, just because it looks different doesn't mean that it's not a human person. Um, an unborn baby can't reason or interact with people, therefore it's not really a person, so we can kill it. Um, I think I mentioned this earlier. Um, in one of these talks, but I really think that this is like the danger of Descartes, right? Descartes is the one who said, I think, therefore I am. And so when you start defining humanity by our cognitive ability, then at least I think a lot of evils come into play. Like, was it Norway? I think I mentioned this before too. Like, was it Norway? Someone's like, we got rid of Down syndrome. Well, it's not like they cured Down syndrome. They just aborted every child that, you know, had Down syndrome. Um, and so, you know, just because someone can't, just because their body is such that they can't enact the, the fullness of their human potential doesn't mean that they're less human. Um, and so, again, we have to look at the human soul and the potentiality of that human soul even though the body may be in such a state that they can't enact it like when we're old or asleep or injured or whatever like you know or you have brain damage um you know someone who's in a major car accident or something like that doesn't make us less human you know just because you're in a vegetative state doesn't mean you're less human um and so this uh, the C I think is the danger that falls out of that. Um, so um, a fetus is a human when it can live on its own outside of the mother's womb. Um, I mean, in some ways, well, I guess I think that's dumb. Um, I think I think they've shown like even if you like give a baby like food, water, uh, things, but it's never held. If a child is never held, like, it'll die. Like, um, and so to say that, like, the definition of a human person is that you can live on your own outside the mother's womb, well, like, no child can do that. Like, we all need that, that human interaction, that human touch, like, um, I would argue that it would be unhealthy for us adults not to have any, to live on our own in some ways. Um.
So, um, abortion is legal. Uh, well, just because something is legal doesn't mean it's a good thing. Um, so we have um, the natural law, like which is the law that God uh, gave us as human beings. Like, it, you know, so if we human beings want to thrive, like we need to follow the natural laws. You know, kind of the law that's written on our heart, and like that's why like every culture has basically said that killing an, an innocent human person is wrong. Like there's like usually general moral principles that follow from every civilization. And it's because that we do. We have this a, a natural sense of sense of right and wrong. Um, and so usually it takes something to persuade us that that's not entirely true. Um, so um, if abortion becomes illegal it will go on in a back alley. Um, I mean, I guess in some ways that's true. Um, I mean, I guess we could talk about marijuana, but usually, like most, you know, what do you call it? Drugs are illegal. Uh, recreational drugs, is that the right term? Like, are illegal, and they're illegal for a reason. I mean, they still go on, but that doesn't necessarily mean that we should legalize them. Um, and so, like, maybe there would be, but there would be, there'd be a lot less abortions happening. Um, and if you've watched um, uh, Unplanned, like, you start to realize that even when abortion is legal, um, abortion clinics are held by the same standards as hospitals and clinics. Like, you know, sometimes they, abortion clinics can be kind of scary places in and of themselves because uh, they're not held to the same rules or regulations as other, I don't know, medical facilities. Um, so... Uh, you can't legislate morality. Uh, we do that all the time. Um, I, I think some states you are required to wear a helmet when you ride a motorcycle. Um, you know, almost every state you have to wear a seatbelt now. Um, no idea who that is. Um, and so we do. We legislate morality all the time. Um, no. Uh, this... Actually, it, um, I know lots of people who <laughs> say this. I'm personally opposed to abortion, but I'm not really going to tell others what to do. Um, and I would actually say, like, I was uh, in this camp, um, kind of along with uh, Jay, like, we must make exceptions for rape and incest. And I think, you know, that was where I was at a certain point in my life. Um, maybe I talked about this earlier in this series, but I just like the more I thought about it, I was like, well, why am I against abortion generally? Well, because I believe it's a human person. Like, oh wait, like it's not like it says like it's not like the hu the fact that it's a human person depends on how it was the child was conceived. Like, it, you know, that's not taken <laughs> into consideration. Like, it's a child no matter what. And so then I'm like, oh, well, <laughs> I guess I need to, like, change my thinking on this. Because um, if I believe that the, it really is a human child, then, like, it's a human child no matter how it was conceived. 
Um, and so, like, if it if if we really do believe that it's wrong, then it, it it's an objective wrong. It's a a universal wrong, and so it's not one of these things like, you know, if you want to, you know, buy a red car, like you do you, or I'll buy a blue car. Like, I mean, it doesn't fall in the same category. Um, and so, like, if you like think about, you know, hardly and believe that there is objective morality, objective right and wrong, then, you know, I don't see how you can actually hold to to uh, age being a proper way of thinking of things. I'm personally opposed to abortion, but I'm not really going to tell others what to do, right? Um, I think that in some ways it's a cop-out. Like, I don't have the courage to speak the truth to others, right? Um, I'm opposed to late-term abortion, so like, um, I'm, so I realized like, Maybe the child is, you know, what do they say these days? Like, once the child has a heartbeat, or, you know, you know, then I do, I believe that abortion is wrong, um, and so I'm okay with first or second trimester abortions, but not late-term abortions. Um, you know, that's one argument that that makes. But you know, the the answer to that is the same thing we said before: is that, you know, even though the child may not look like a human person yet that potential that soul is already there that whatness it already exists it's already a human person um better an aborted baby than an unwanted baby um if that was true i wouldn't be here um steve jobs wouldn't have been here um there's like a long list of like famous people who were adopted um I forget some of the others. Um, I don't think Einstein is in that list, but um, but like there's a long list of like very like influential people throughout history that have been adopted. Um, you know that did not grow up with their parents. Um, um, I couldn't give my child away for someone else to raise. Um, I don't get this, but maybe it's not because maybe it's because I'm not a woman, because I'm not a mother. Like, um, I don't know. Just like at face value, that strikes me as being kind of selfish. Um, I, but like I said, like I, I don't pretend to know what that's like, um, because you do. You hear stories of mothers who say they are going to give up their child for adoption, and then at the last minute they decide not to. Just like know holding the child or whatever like the you know that there's that attachment or um whatever um those of you who are child psychology might know what that's called or whatever but um i've heard stories of like yeah that they were planning to give up their child for adoption but at the last minute they decide not to um so so maybe there is something to that um but um so again, uh, we uh, believe that as Catholics that life begins uh, at conception. Um, eight is just referring to, there's this weird um, situation in modern American law where um, in certain states you can be 
convicted of a double homicide, um, meaning that like if some I don't know like if you're driving a car or something and you murder a mother who is um, is pregnant, um, you can actually uh, get convicted for a double homicide, meaning that you are um, tried for the death of two people. Um, but then maybe in that same state you can abort children who are of that same stage or what you know same amount of life in the womb um and so it's just you know it's kind of like this weird double standard like you know in one instance we're not going to say it's a child or a human person but in another case we're going to consider it a human child and so just some kind of inconsistency in some of our uh, state laws um, I personally think that abortion uh, is about when it comes down to it is about convenience um, and not taking responsibility um, like it, it I suppose it was true like at some point like we ver we didn't know a whole lot about um, pregnancy and like you know human development and stuff like that and so um, maybe it would be excusable to say like we don't know when like the fetus crosses over into being a human person but it's just like scientifically like it it's pretty hard to deny that the fetus the embryo is a human person um, that it has that potential right from the very beginning and so I think that science um, very much backs the church's teaching and um, I think that anyone who looks honestly at the data and the science would have to agree with the church but obviously a lot of people don't and I think you know people who um, uh, how do I say this kindly um, have fallen under the the cultural norm of you know sleeping around or just a pickup culture like you know living together before marriage is okay you know um, you know that sex before marriage is not that big of a deal um, again I think that when you take that up well people in those situations aren't often ready to raise a child and so I want to enter into you know that kind of behavior you know um, sex before marriage but then I also need to, a way not to have a child before I'm ready and so I think then contraception and abortion enter the picture pretty quickly um, and so um, I think abortion and contraception become about convenience and not taking responsibility um, so I, I know a few of you um, she hasn't been around lately but uh, Carissa Schenk, um, you know, uh, grew up uh, in a very Catholic family, um, and um, her senior year of high school, um, you know, she got pregnant, um, and she knew right away that she was going to have Aubrey. There was never a question, um, and. Uh, she, you know, took full responsibility of what she did, um, and, you know, raised Aubrey, and so, 
I'm slightly biased because I'm Aubrey's godfather, so um, I, yeah, I'm a little biased in the whole thing. Um, so uh, the second um, issue is euthanasia, which is uh, mercy killing. Um, you can talk about positive euthanasia, like injection, like injecting like a poison or something, or omission, um, which is starvation, which um, I don't think I jotted any notes down about it, but uh, there was a case in Florida, um, probably quite a few years now, but um, Terry Shivo uh, was in a vegetative state, um, and or at least some people thought she was in a vegetative state, um, and her husband wanted to pull the machines or whatever you want to call it um, and the parents did not um, and to make a long story or whatever short the, in the end the, the husband won and they were able to they pulled the, uh, the tubes, the feeding tube uh, the breathing machine um, and actually I don't think she was on a breathing machine I think she was just on a feeding tube um, and the the church, um, you know, as the the universal church uh, spoke into the issue and um, said that, um, and we'll talk more about it later. But uh, the church declared that the feeding tube was ordinary means that, you know, as long as her body could digest the nutrients on its own, like it's just a matter of how to get the food there, that. Um, that fee that starvation was not a natural death, um, and so it's one thing that the body can't process the nutrients itself, but just because you you know you can't get it past your throat or whatever, and so um, the other like little side note is like her parents claimed that like she could like. I think what was something like move her eye in response to questions or something. So like her parents claimed that there was like a little movement, um, that she was not uh, in a complete vegetative state, but her husband argued otherwise and it went to court and everything and uh, the husband won. Um, So reasons, uh, so it's becoming more and more accepted. I, I think it started like out in Washington or Oregon was one of the first states that allowed for euthanasia. And, um, it's become more and more common. Um, and so um, the, the reference I was reading uh, cited these reasons why it's becoming more and more accepted, like lack of faith, um, you know, that yeah, just that life has a meaning or whatever. Um, you know, that we are created for something bigger than ourselves. Um, uh, suffering is not meaningful. I think when I look at other Christian denominations, um, I think we're one of the, the few denominations that really um, have a theology of suffering. Um, you know, and, and not that it's the only thing or whatever, but I think it's interesting that as Catholics we keep the body of Jesus on the cross, you know, on our crosses. Um, 
on our crucifixes, whereas most generally other Christian denominations don't. Um, and I, I think that speaks to our understanding uh, of suffering as Catholics. Um, um, again, just weak resolve. Um, and um, kind of the chronic disease, like I, uh, I don't want to suffer through the, the worst part of it. Like I have cancer and I, I just want to like get it over with. I don't want to suffer the hard stuff. And I think that goes back to kind of that, that um, understanding that suffering, the lack of understanding that suffering can be meaningful. Um, and just, uh, yeah, burden of, um, the burden of the disease. Um, just that uh, the idea that that we're a burden to someone else, like we don't want to be, um, yeah, like I don't want to be a burden to anyone else. Like I, you know, I don't want um, my loved ones to have to deal with me dying and you know going, making those decisions and stuff. Like I just. Like, I just want to get out of their way. Um, and, I mean, um, obviously that's a very sad place to be. Um, I mean, I don't doubt that, you know, that it happens, that families abandon, you know, their loved one. Um, but obviously that's not a good thing in and of itself. Like, it speaks to a larger problem. Um, so... Um, so, uh, the church teaches that human life is sacred and should last from uh, conception to natural death. Um, there's a couple of paragraphs on uh, euthanasia in the Catechism of the Catholic Church, uh, paragraphs 2276 to 2283. Um, there is also a declaration on euthanasia. Um, and then the Gospel of Life, um, um, sections 39, um, speaks to euthanasia as well. Um, uh, man's life comes from God, it is his gift, his image, and an imprint, a sharing in the breath of life. God, therefore, is the sole Lord of this life. Man cannot do with it as he wills. God himself made this clear to Noah after the flood. For your own life blood, too, I will demand an accounting. And from man in regard to his fellow man, I will demand an accounting for human life. The biblical text is concerned to emphasize how the sacredness of life has its foundation in God and in his creative activity. For God made man in his own image. Human life and death are thus in the hands of God, in His power. In His hand is the life of every living thing, and the breath of all mankind, exclaims Job. The Lord brings to death and brings to life. He brings down to Sheol and raises up. He alone can say, it is I who bring both death and life. Um, but God does not exercise His power in an arbitrary and threatening way, but rather as a part of His care and loving concern for his creatures. Um, and so, um, 
yeah, we are not to take uh, death into our own hands, or in some ways our life into our own hands. Um, so, uh, uh, so this is actually a really good encyclical. It's Kyle Longo. It's um, the Gospel of Life, Evangelium Vitae by Pope John Paul II. Um, so, um, at one point, I obviously read it with a lot of care. Um, the Declaration on Euthanasia, I actually have not read, um, but um, some interesting things that come out of it. Um, so again, that would have been a document of the church. Um, any deliberate attempt on human on innocent human life is a crime. Um, and so for the most part, our legal laws um, recognize that, right? You know, you can't just murder someone in broad daylight for no reason, right? Um, that that's a, um, a crime. Um, that euthanasia is a murder, plain and simple. Um, again, it might not be a mortal sin if they didn't know it. Um, you know, uh, if they yeah, or if they had reached uh, a point where they couldn't reason what was good anymore. Like we talk about, you know, people commit suicide, right? They're usually not in a place to um, to freely choose right or wrong at that point. Um, um, most, uh, we must distinguish uh, euthanasia from acts of sacrifice for the greater good. So like, Someone who dives on a bomb and sacrifices his life for his, you know, fellow comrades in battle. Or, um, yeah, you know, um, there's lots of instances where people have sacrificed their lives for the good of others. Um, and so that's a noble thing. Um, whereas, you know, euthanasia is just like, you know, like sometimes we would talk about like, I just don't want to burden people with my life, with my suffering anymore. And, um, you know, that just means that we that are around them need to tell them, like, no, like, your life has meaning. Like, we still love you. We want you to be around. Um, I think that speaks more to kind of the tragedy of, uh, of where we are in caring for our elderly more than anything else. Um, and so we need to do a better job of that. Um, so, um, yeah, I don't know. Just thinking, like, I, I'm hearing that a little bit from my mother. My grandmother is 99, um, and they just put her in a home, uh, finally. And um, uh, my mom is, like, kind of mad about, like, the kind of the care and attention that she gets day in and day out. So, so I get to hear this a little bit from my mother. So, um... Uh, Please are often cries for help rather than uh, for help and love rather than a true desire for death, and that's what kind of we talk about, right? It's like often what elderly people want is just to be loved, to be you know attended to, uh, rather than actually you know wanting to die. Again, they feel like they're a burden. Well, like how do we make them not feel like a burden? You know, like they're just in the way. Um, again, we are never permitted to take uh, innocent human life. Um, however, we can relieve extreme pain, even give heavy doses of medication, um, even if it hastens death. Um, 
because our intention in that is to relieve the pain, not to hasten, not to bring about death. Um, and so it's, it's covered under the principle of double effect. So our, our main intention is to relieve the pain. The undesired side effect is it might hasten death. Um, so there's, um, there's the mercy killing euthanasia where the intention is to kill the person. Whereas like giving maybe stronger than uh, strong doses of pain medication. Like the main intention is to relieve the pain. Uh, the side effect is that it may hasten death. And so, um, so as nurses, as um, anesthetists and things like that, you can uh, give, you know, extreme amounts of, um, of pain relief. Um, again, as Catholics, you believe that suffering has redemptive value. Um, you know, I like to think of, like, an economy of graces, like Jesus won all the graces on the cross. Um, but like we were talking about um, yesterday, yeah, like, you know, uh, All Souls Day, like we can pray for the souls in purgatory. Like um, our prayers allow graces to be applied to their time in purgatory and to hasten their time um, to get to heaven. And so, as the church militant here on earth is the church purgative and purgatory, the church triumphant in heaven, like we can pray for each other and help those graces. That Jesus won all the graces on the cross, but now our prayers, by sheer you know grace of God, we can help uh, help those graces be applied in different places. And so, our suffering, you know, can have redemptive value, you know. Um, those of you who grew up Catholic, like, offer it up, right? Like, you know, how do I offer up my suffering? Rather than complaining about it, how can I offer my suffering for, yeah, for someone who is, like, someone who else is, like, um, yeah, for the souls in purgatory, or, you know, someone who needs a miraculous healing, you know, or even my friend who's taking a heart test or whatever. Like, my suffering doesn't have to be <laughs> just about my suffering. Like, if I join my suffering to the all great suffering of Christ on the cross, then, like, it can be redemptive. I can use those, can ask Jesus to apply those graces to, you know, any number of things. Um, and so, suffering can have redemptive value, can have great meaning. Um, if we allow it. Um, and I actually think that it's one of the the hidden gems of Catholicism. Like, I, there's not a lot of other denominations that have the theology of suffering that we have. Um, and I think in a fallen world, that, that's a great comfort and a, a great yeah, gift um, to have. Um, So, uh, again, um, we can talk about ordinary means um, of care. Um, those medical procedures that are well established, known to be beneficial and not excessively burdensome due to expense or side effects. Obviously, what is considered ordinary will depend on such factors as patient's age, condition, and available technology. Um, 
And so sometimes it is kind of a, a call. It's not like an objective thing. Um, and so, um, I mean, obviously feeding tubes didn't always exist. But um, the church has decided, on, like, at least in the first world countries, based on cost and just availability, um, that in, at least in the first world, uh, that feeding tube would be ordinary means of treatment. Um, extraordinary means of treatment are those medical procedures that are considered exceptional uh, because they are experimental, expensive, or have serious physical and psychological side effects. Again, it was considered extraordinary, would vary depending on the patient's age, condition, and available technology. Um, when the church says that uh, we are to receive ordinary means of treatment, uh, doesn't mean that we can't receive extraordinary means of treatment. We can receive extraordinary uh, means of treatment, but you don't have to. Um, you know, like, um, yeah, like, you know, what is that the DNR do not resuscitate, right? Um, and so we can refuse extraordinary means of treatment um, that, like, dying because our heart quits or that we can't breathe, you know, is a natural means of death. Um, but uh, in some ways, starvation is not. Um, so, um, and so kind of talking about what you before, when death is imminent, we must still receive food, water, warmth, and hygiene. Um, uh, so, um, so people who support euthanasia, like, um, yeah, it's been going on for a long time, uh, that even, um, even before Jesus, pagan doctors who lived centuries before Christ recognized that uh, euthanasia was murder. Um, they could see the evil of killing someone through the natural law alone without the benefit um, of the Christian revelation that we have. Um, so, um, and nowhere does the sacred scripture or sacred tradition mention any exceptions to the fifth commandment because of suffering or terminal illness. Uh, thou shalt not kill, right? Um, so, um, let's see, how are we doing on time? We have about five minutes. Um, originally I intended to go through, uh, contraception, um, and IVF as well. Um, I, we could, you know, try and finish it. Um, like I said, we, it's about 9.24. Um, or we could do another class, or we could just call it either way. Another class? Okay. Okay. Um, let's see. Uh, let's just point on next week. Okay? Okay. Great. Um... Yeah, let's pray. In the name of the Father, Son, Holy Spirit, Amen. Lord, we thank you so much uh, for this time together. We thank you um, again for your truth. Lord, we know that um, human life is precious, that it's a great gift, and may we always treat it that way. May we recognize uh, what a gift, uh, gift we are, what a gift our, our life is, and may we um, recognize the, the great gift of others in their life as well. 
And may we always um, stand up for the dignity of every person that we come into contact with. We ask this in your name. Amen. In the name of Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Amen. Uh, were there any questions? I forgot to ask. I have a question. Yeah. So this one's kind of a tangent of what you're talking about, but like the people, like let's say like their dad, their mom's in the hospital, dying. Yeah. Yeah. What is like the morality of that? Like, what what do you because, mean? Like, they can't for like for themselves like want that sacrament or want that blessing before death. So if somebody else is asking for them for them, does that make sense? Um, I'm still not quite sure what the question is, but like so when uh, often towards the end of life, um, people aren't really cognitive. And so often their family members will call uh, because they've made it known to their family, like, I want last rites. Because for better or for worse, we're, because of where we are in the church and society, like, um, a lot of children are not practicing the faith that their parents practice, but the children are nice enough, like, are courteous enough to want to follow what mom and dad wanted and so they're still calling the priest even though that they haven't been to church in you know eons or whatever uh, they're still good enough to call the priest and ask for last rites to be applied um, and so um, uh, so I do I do a lot of um, last rites anointing um, you know for people who are close to death Yes, so if you are ever nearing death, uh, if you um, tell your loved ones, make sure to ask the priest for the apostolic pardon. Um, so it's a special prayer that the priest prays that um, removes, um, if they're in the state of grace, it removes like all the, uh, the effects of sin. Um, and um, I don't know. Uh, it always gives them uh, um, like a speed pass to heaven. Um, and so, um, so yeah. So I think the short answer to your question is that there is, through the apostolic pardon, a way for the person to be forgiven of their sins, even though they're not cognizant enough to do a regular. Reconciliation. Is that kind of what you're asking? Okay. Yeah. So, um, so I, like when I do it, I do give like the absolution that I use in confession. Um, even if they can't really tell me their sins, I still give them, uh, say the prayer of absolution. Um, but then I also say the apostolic pardon prayer as well. So, but good question. So, um, any other good questions? Yeah. Okay, so like I work in a nursing home, and if there's like a hospice patient that's like actively dying, they won't eat for like days at a time. Would it be wrong to not give them a feeding tube? So, 
They're not eating. Yeah, because like they're actively dying. Okay. Okay. Like, and it's sometimes is like it's multiple things at a time. Yeah. Yeah, I, I think um Obviously, the medical profession doesn't always follow Catholic ethics, um, but I, I, just on the facts that you've given me, it would I would I would assume or think that it would be wrong. Um, yeah, and I do realize like there's only so much that you, as nurses as caretakers, have power to do. Like you can't. Um, but, um, but yeah, like, you know, um, yeah, starvation is not a natural death. As long as the body can process it, like, um, like, and maybe nursing, I don't know, like, um, but yeah, if the body can process it, then, you know, they should be given some nutrients, um. So, yeah. No, good question, though. Um, yeah, the the modern medical field is a uh, is full of landmines. Um, like modern medicine, I think, has blurred the line of even what life and death actually is. Um, it used to be like, well, they quit breathing, they're dead, you know, um, but, you know, with modern technology, we can do so much right at the edge that, you know, it's that the meaning or the definition of life and death um, has become blurred. And I felt that way when I worked at Mayo from 1999 to 2004. I mean, I'm sure that has only gotten in some ways worse. Um, that, you know, due to technology, like, we can, we can do amazing things, like, you know, right in that, that border uh, between life and death, which is crazy, but also scary. You know, crazy good in some ways, but also in some ways scary. Anything else? Okay. Well, thank you guys for coming. Yeah. Yeah.